Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. It is a uh great to have Steph back. She was just saying then we've had a couple of weeks off over the Christmas period. Um, so it's, it's an absolute joy whenever Steph preaches. So uh, I just want to pray for her and pray for us now as we uh, prepare ourselves to hear that. Uh, so let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for Steph. And we just pray right now, Lord, that you would clear everything else out, that we would hear your word spoken and your truth spoken, Lord. We pray that you would uh, bless Steph as she leads us in studying who you are and learning more of you. Lord, we pray that your spirit would bless her now in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it is a privilege to be back. I don't know if it's a bit late to say Happy New Year, but Happy New Year. Um, so anyone who knows me knows that I love a bargain. There's nothing that pleases me more. And if I can get something free, it's amazing. So every Thursday night, I, on behalf of the long table, I go to Tesco's and we pick up the free food, the food that they're about to dump, and we recycle it every week. And um, you got bread and oranges last week, and there's pancakes this week. So on the 21st of December, I was going to do our pickup. And I didn't realize I was becoming unwell, but that's a boring story, really. So... I was driving over with our daughter Olivia and the turkey and ham were ordered and they were being picked up the next day. I was hoping for the vegetables with the soup made, with the desserts done. And what the one thing that we really needed was peeled potatoes because when you're feeding 60 people, you do not want to be peeling potatoes. And so I knew that tomorrow I'd have to go to Musgrave, which is there somewhere, and I can't be bothered. Um, I was tired and I was a wee bit weary. So we were driving over to Tesco's, Olivia and I, and uh, I said, Olivia, I'm just going to pray. And she said, oh, okay. Um, and I said, Lord, I have, uh, I have nothing in me. I can't do a run to Musgrave tomorrow. I just can't. I'm done. So can you give us peeled, boiled potatoes? Thank you. Thank you. Amen. And so Olivia, in her inimitable way, said... So, uh, Mother, when did you last get peeled boiled potatoes on your lift on Thursday night? And she calls me Mother when she's kind of going into the parenting role of me. Um, usually it's Mum. So she went, Mother? And Mother replied, Never. And she went, OK. So we headed into Tesco's. Um, we, got our f- we got our bread. We got our fruit. We got our dairy. We got our eggs. We got our vegetables. And then Eva, we've got this beautiful 17-year-old girl who sorts us out every week. And then Eva said, oh, look, here's bags and trays of peeled potatoes. And I said, of course there are. Of course there are. Thank you. And in that moment, you could debate with me the theology of that prayer or why I got peeled boiled potatoes at that moment. But at that moment... In my relationship with God and our connection, 
what I heard him say was, I get you, I see you, I hear you, and I'm with you. And so those peeled potatoes were a thing of joy to me in that moment, and I've never forgotten them. I might not ever get them again. That's irrelevant. The point was that I prayed a vulnerable, pretty desperate prayer. I laid it out and I said, I'm done. I can't do it. Could you help me? And we got peeled boiled potatoes. So I got mum on the way home, it has to be said. And uh, my daughter went, good on you, girl. I, I wouldn't have thought it would have happened. So there we are. So the, if you only remember one thing from today, I want you to remember that moment in Tesco's where I saw the answer to my prayer. And it communicated something much deeper to me about my relationship with God. And um, today we're doing talking with God. Last week, Dave spoke so well on talking to God, the template that Jesus gave us for how we talk to God. And now we're going to progress to a more relational, deeper type of prayer where we talk with God. And that comes, I believe, at a stage of our faith. And in the early days, we simply talk to God. But as we dig ourselves in and develop a deep relationship with our Father, our Mother God, however we understand God, we start to talk with God and we join him, her, in what they are doing in the world. This Peterson quote that will come up behind me, praise and thanksgiving are always appropriate. And it's certain that our final prayers of life will be thanksgiving, heaven reverberating with our amens and hallelujahs. So practicing the scales of praise is always a good idea. But for here and now, we mostly ask. Jesus taught us to ask. And that is a challenge I want to give to you today, that actually a deeper relationship with God involves asking, vulnerability, and seeking his will and joining him in what he is doing within the world. So I want to just follow on from where we read last week. The Bibles are on the tables in front of you. Um, we're in Luke chapter 11 and we're going to pick it up at verse 5. I'll maybe read it off here. The first four verses are where Jesus taught them how to pray and that's what Dave spoke to last week. Um, the Lord's Prayer, as a model and a template for talking to God. Now Jesus is starting to say, let's move deeper and let's do something more. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, six for a, f oh, sorry, verse six, oops. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, don't trouble me. The door's shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And so I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from a father among you, will he give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so this, this passage here is... It follows a rabbinic pattern of teaching, how much more. So Jesus is saying to them, look at what you lot do. Look at what happens here. A hungry person goes to his neighbor. Hospitality was so important in the ancient world. And to have guests come that you couldn't feed was a great source of shame. So you run to your neighbor's house. You get them up in the middle of the night. I'm not sure what sort of reception they might have got from you or me at midnight. But the point is... Jesus is saying, and the Greek, trans, the Greek tense that is used in this is the present progressive tense, which means keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, be persistent, be persistent. And I want to speak so sensitively to those of us who are praying to see things happen in our lives or in the world or in the lives of our friends. And we're not yet seeing the answer. We're not yet seeing what we've asked for. And I believe that this passage is an invitation to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on persevering. And that is frightening because we're letting go of control, but it's also allowing us into a deeper relationship with the one who looks on us with love. The only way to get prayer wrong is to try and get it right. Roberta Bondi said that. She's from a school of theology in the States, and I love her work. The only way to get prayer wrong is to try and get it right. And this is freeing for us today, that we are invited to pray and to talk and get really real with our Father, our Mother God. And we're to keep on asking and keep on persisting. So the four, if you like, um, it'll come up behind me now, hopefully, gratitude, lament, petition, and intercession. Those are the four almost stages of prayer that we are invited into when we go to this deeper, deeper relationship with the Lord. So the first one I want to speak to is gratitude. Gratitude is what is good in my life, what is good in the world around me. Lament is what is evil in my life and in the world around me. And then petition and intercession, that is where we are asking God to fulfill his promises of good always over evil. And so if we stop just to think of each of these three, gratitude, lament, and then petition and intercession are two sides of the one coin. Petition is where we're asking God for something, usually for ourselves, and intercession is where we are asking God for something for others or for the world. And we are called to be the intercessors. But if we start with gratitude, gratitude should be the heart and soul of our relationship with God. God himself is at, the, at his centre, at her centre, is generous and self-giving. And it is the very inner fabric of God's nature to be generous. Ignatius, who founded the Jesuits, he described gratitude and prayer as the very beginning of all prayer. Give thanks to God, our Lord, for the benefits received. 
But he further taught that if we live in ingratitude, the failure to recognize the good things, the graces, the gifts received, it is the cause, the beginning, and the origin of all the evil and sin that we find in our lives. That's a pretty sobering thought. And when I, try, when I stop to think about my life, and sometimes I, I wonder if the moment I'm in is one where I feel gratitude, I go back to the wisdom of Frederick Buchan, or it'll come up behind me. Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the boredom and the pain of it, no less than in the excitement and gladness, touch, taste, and smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the final analysis, all moments are key moments, and life itself is grace. And so I wonder if, what is the moment that you are in in your life at this moment? Because you might be in a, a, a period of your life where you're not seeing answered prayer, where you're disappointed, where you're angry, where you're sad, you're confused, you've got questions, you've got doubts. And does gratitude feel impossible? Does gratitude right now for you feel impossible? And we all walk through periods of life where that is the reality. And yet the invitation is to look for the moments of grace. To look for the places where you find grace in another or in the Lord himself or in beauty or in creation, whatever it is. Where is your glimmer of hope today? And give thanks for that. If that's all you're able for, find your glimmer and give thanks for that. And it's so important to think of what gratitude does to our brain, the neuroscience behind gratitude. It's all over psychology in the last 30 years. Gratitude is associated with increased neural modulation of your prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex of your brain is responsible for feelings of guilt, of anger, of shame, and of violence. And yet, if you choose gratitude, you are changing the very wiring of your brain. And you will find that guilt and shame and anger will lessen. That is stunning stuff. And I would invite you that if you're in a period where you're feeling all those things, anger, shame, guilt, start with gratitude, morning and evening, and see if you can gently and kindly change your prefrontal cortex. That kind of blows my mind. So sometimes people say, oh, think of three things you're thankful for, and it sounds a bit twee. But it's not twee, it's neuroscience, and it's changing your brain. And it is a command of the Lord to give thanks in all circumstances. So that is our invitation. Change the wiring and you will increase your empathy and your hopefulness. But as C.S. Lewis tells us, and it's up behind me, we are to lay before God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. And that leads us rather beautifully into lament. That leads us rather beautifully into lament. Pete Gregg will always say, pray what you got. Don't try and pray something else. We were talking about this the other day, Dave and I, about how if we looked at everybody's, my own included, our Instagram feed, it might look like we all had the most amazing time for the whole of Christmas. 
but maybe we didn't. Because sometimes we modulate what we put out. Sometimes we, 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 we only put out the good stuff on our beautiful lives, not our real lives. And the Lord is inviting us to lament over the reality of our lives. He is inviting us to pray with what you got. So lament is our pain, our grief, our anger, our confusion. Take that to God. He can take it. It says in Psalm 139, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. So it's not like he doesn't get it. It's not like he doesn't know it. But maybe you naming it would be freeing to you and would deepen your relationship. Nancy Mars says, what one, who one believes God is, God to be, is most accurately revealed, not in any credo, but in the way we speak to God when no one is listening. This prayer, this invitation to praying and talking with God invites us to get real with God. And Anne Voskamp reminds us that lament is a cry of belief in a good God, a God who has his ear to our hearts, and a God who will transfigure the ugly into beauty. If you look through the Bible, two-thirds of the Psalms are lament. We don't write many modern worship songs about lament, but yet it's through all the ancient songs of worship. Anger, rage, jealousy, envy, doubt, suicidal thought, it's all in the Psalms. If you're feeling those feelings right now, pray the Psalms, because it's all already there. Your anger, your rage, your thought that life's not really worth keeping going, it's all there. And I think they're there for a reason, to give us permission to name it and to feel it and to process it. And so prayer is an emotionally healthy way of processing my life and my world with God. In that drive to Tesco's, I told them how it was. I don't have it in me. Can you help me? <laughs> it's a trite, simple little example, but I hope you get what I'm trying to say. Richard Rohr tells us that all, all good spirituality is about what we do with our pain. If we do not transform our pain, we will transmit it to those around us. How many of us have done that? And how many of us have experienced people transmitting their pain onto us? So Anne Voskamp describes how when we process our pain and our anger and our rage and our grief in prayer, we go down a YouTube, we go down to the bottom, and then we come back up and we are free. It's not that we sit in it, but we come out of it. And it's a very, very healthy way to do it. And the thing, about, the thing again about our brain is that physical and emotional pain activate the exact same area of your brain, the anterior insula and cingulate cortex. So when you feel emotional pain, it is like you are in physical pain. Through a friend, I met a family recently who have gone through an unspeakable tragedy. And I think I would describe them as being demented by their grief. They can't think straight, they can't eat. They're just stuck in the most horrendous, heartbreaking situation. They can't talk about it, they find it hard, it's, it's too sore. They're guilty, they're angry, they're all of it. 
And we talked about how prayer and meditation and sitting quietly with God allows you to name all that stuff and receive no judgment. No judgment, only love. People are telling them how they should walk this journey. People are telling them what they should be thankful for and they cannot hear it because they're too sore. But the Lord can hear it and the Lord can take it. And that was my encouragement to them. Don't try and wrap it all up in a bow because you can't. This is a nightmare. But share it with the one who is waiting to hear and who won't judge you but will simply offer you love. And so do we, what I want to say to you is that perhaps your ability to not lament is related to your early experiences. So I don't know if you wanted to pause for a minute and think, what did you learn about God? What did you learn about your parents? Was it okay to be angry? Was it okay to be sad? Was it okay to rage? That's your early experiences and we transplant that onto the Lord. And so very often we think, I grew up thinking that you weren't allowed to do anything but smile if you were a good girl and a Christian girl. All I did was smile all the time and say everything was good. Walked up the church every week and smiled at everybody. And everybody must have thought we were amazingly happy all the time. It was a nonsense. We were normal. We were happy, we were sad, we were angry. It took me until I was in my 30s to realize that I could ha- I always thought God was above reproach and I could never share who I really was or what I really felt with him. He was above question, he was above doubt. And it took me until I was in my 30s and I went through a series of things that were paths I might not have chosen for myself to realize that God could handle my grief and my doubt. God could handle my anger and my disappointment. In fact, he couldn't just handle it, he would help me transform it. He would help me transform it. And so in my 30s, I relearned my early behaviors. And, but I will still return to that avoidant smiling Stephanie when I'm stressed and I need called out of it. Sometimes I just have to call myself out of it and say, No, we're not doing that anymore. And I'm going to give you some questions at the end to help you to think about how you might process negative feelings and whether it's okay to process them. And if it's not, then the invitation is to start doing it with God in prayer. Pete Gregg tells us, your power in prayer will flow from the certainty that the one who made you likes you. (laughs) He's not scowling at you. He is on your side. Unless our mission and our acts of mercy, our intercession and our petition, confession and spiritual warfare begin and end in the knowledge of the Father's love, we will act and pray out of desperation, determination and duty instead of revelation, expectation and joy. And so what Pete's telling us is that in order to lament and to intercede and to pray for anyone else we need to feel safe in the father that we are praying to and until we do that perhaps we're not able to do this sort of praying so lament think of lament as a theological protest we're all into protesting these days and jt thomas who's a social activist he describes lamenting as a prey test 
I thought it was weird personally, but it maybe works for you. Not protest, but pray test. So fight our injustice that we see in the world, the pain that we see in the world by lamenting, and then lamenting will naturally lead us to petition and intercession. Petition, like I said at the beginning, is where we pray for ourselves and we ask for ourselves, and intercession is where we pray for others. And Charles Spurgeon tells us that asking is the rule of the kingdom. When we intercede and when we petition, we pray in Jesus' name. And we always, we usually put it, I don't know if you've noticed, but we usually put that at the end of the prayer like it's the kind of, you know, golden ticket. We're praying it all in Jesus' name, amen. But that's never found in the New Testament. That model of putting it at that point in the prayer is never found. We come as sons and daughters, as our identity. As Larry Hurtado tells us, to pray in Jesus' name means we enter into his status in God's favor and invoke his standing with God. So we don't need to pray in Jesus' name like it's the pathway. We pray in the name of Jesus because we are representing Jesus to the throne of grace. That's a completely different way to pray. It's not a hopeful thing. It's a we are entering with all, we have access to the kingdom of heaven. We pray out of our alignment with Jesus. And so in the ancient world, this is so important because our name in the ancient world was synonymous with our character. One of my favorite characters is Naomi. And because of her life, she changed her name to Mara, bitter, because she felt bitter. So she actually changed the very name she has. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are using our sacred alignment with him for his miraculous power. So how do we pray? We know God's character, we know God's ways, and we allow prayer to draw us into communication and communion with God and to divert the course of the world. When I stood that moment in Tesco's, I know all the verses about he knows every hair on my head and if, I, you know, if something falls, he sees it. I know all those promises. But it was only when I stood there and humbly saw my peeled potatoes that I thought, you do, you actually do. And so I challenge you and invite you to start to invite the Lord to answer your questions, to show you what you want, to give you your desires, because that will deepen the promises that we read and we will imbibe the belief of them in a very different way if we live it and if we feel it. And so that, I think, is the invitation. There's a very, Walter Wink sums up intercessory prayer. It's a long quote, but I think it's worth us pausing with and thinking about. Intercessory prayer is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. Intercession visualizes an alternative future to the one apparently faded by the momentum of current forces. Prayer infuses the air of a time yet to be into the suffocating atmosphere of the present. History belongs to the intercessors who believed the future into being. Even a small number of people firmly committed to the new inevitability on which they have fixed their imaginations can decisively affect the shape that the future takes. 
These shapers of the future are the intercessors. So Wink is inviting us to believe for a better future through intercession, to not simply cry when we see the images of Gaza, to not simply weep over our own circumstances or the circumstances of others, but to intercede for a better future and to call down the forces of heaven for more. Because we have access to all of that in the name of Jesus, which is how we live and how we should pray. And so in these days, instead of perhaps just, or perhaps as well as, sharing information about what is happening, we need to be on our knees interceding and believing for a better future for this present world. Because, as he rightly says, it's a spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. What is happening in the world is not what God has promised us. And we are called to be shapers of the future. And for any of us who struggle and think, well, actually, does, you know, there's a determinism that can invade our thinking that, well, it's all, he's in charge of it and it's all sorted anyway. But that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible responds to his people and futures are changed because of the faithful prayers and intercession of the followers. And that is truly inspiring and exciting and should help us at the start of a new year to think of our lives of prayer in a very, very different way. Prayer is a way we ask God to act and do things only he can do in the world and it is a way of giving God the space to do what he can only do in us. So I would say that when we dig ourselves in to talking with God rather than just talking to God, we invite him to change not only the world around us, but to do what he wants to do in us. And that should excite us and inspire us as we start a year. How do we start this? How do we? Well, we would suggest that you start and end every prayer with gratitude and that you get daily prayer rhythms going. Maybe you sit, I don't know if you did the thing over Advent where you, you sat every day and lit a candle. I find that a very beautiful rhythm that I've tried to keep going, sitting still and sitting quietly in the presence of the Lord. I've been reading a lot about uh, wisdom from the Ignatian belief system or strand of theology. And they would say that we have let go in evangelicalism. They would say that we have let go of the idea of our desires. We sort of see them as bad or that what we want is not okay and that we're not to bring those to God. And that the Ignatian wisdom is bring your desires to a father who wants to give you his yes. We sang about it this morning. All his promises are yes and amen. You're not going to get something that isn't in line with what God wants. Let's be real. Very many years ago, a man came to see me as, he wanted to see me for therapy and he said that the Lord had told him, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's funny. The Lord had told him that he had a new woman for him and he was to leave his wife and he just wanted to talk it through because he thought it was what God had told him to do. So he didn't end up having therapy with me because I gave him a flat, no, the Lord's not telling you that, no. 
So I'm not saying that our desires are anything that's not in line with what we find in this book. But we are designed to live in good relationship with one another and with creation. And if what you desire fits in with the promises of God, then he is a father who is wanting to give you what you want. You simply need to ask. One of the theologians I read said, if you were to sum up all of Jesus' teaching on prayer in one word, it would be ask. Ask. And so I'm inviting you this, this season to think to yourself, what is it that I desire? What is it that I want to see in my life and in the life of my family or my friends? How am I going to ask? And so we'll come to some questions. I've got them behind me. But I want to finish with this lovely quote from Pete Gregg. You can read and learn everything on prayer. But it's only when you live in a daily relationship with God and process the extraordinary, the devastating, the mundane, and all in the middle with an eagerly listening father that you truly learn to pray. So there's something in that that we need to know that when we come in prayer, we are coming to a father who has his hands wide open to us, who is waiting to answer our prayers and longs to bring us into deeper relationship with us, with him. And so if you have struggled to share with the Lord your anger or your rage or your fury, then it's time to start thinking, what's that about? Because it's not about him, it's about you. And maybe you can use prayer to heal that part of your life that perhaps has held you back or caused you harm. And so just, <clears throat> I want to ask, give you three questions that I'd like to invite you to consider using when you sit down to pray in your daily rhythm of prayer, whatever that is. And they'll come up behind me. The first one is, I want you to answer the question, how, how am I coming to you? How do I come to you today? How am I really today? And the second one is perhaps more important. How is God with me today? So when I sit down with God, how do I see him? And how do I think he sees me? Because that is the kicker. If I can live knowing that I am deeply beloved, then I will be bold when I go to him and ask him. I will feel safe enough to share my anger and my rage and my disappointment and my confusion. And so, how do I come to you today? How is God with me today? And what is it that I desire? Could we use those questions in our private times just to start to think differently together with the Lord and to use those questions journal your answers track what changes for you or what deepens or what speaks to you pay attention to your body John Mark Comer talks about praying with your whole body so if you're sitting praying and there's a part of you that's sore or tender or causing you trouble ask, it what, ask that part of your body what are you trying to say to me? What's going on for me right now? Because these are great core questions to dig into what's actually happening between us and the beautiful one who loves us. 
use talking with God to get into the deeper layers of yourself and into surrender. Allow talking with God to heal you, to transform you, to liberate and change you, to let go of all of the control that you think you have in your life and to surrender. And sometimes when we say that, we think that that sounds like slavery, but actually that surrender is freedom, total freedom. And that is the invitation to us as individuals and as a community as we start this year. Dig deeper. Share it all with your Lord, knowing that you are deeply loved and safe. And let's move ourselves to petition for ourselves and for those around us and to intercede for the world around us. Just now, as the band comes, I was sitting yesterday afternoon, and I was thinking about um, today. I happened to look out to our back garden. Any of, us, any of you who know our house know we don't have a big back garden. And I, we've got this, Steve made, made this cement thing, and we, we put things in it, you know. <laughs> can't even describe it, doesn't matter. But it's like a table. You know, we're pretending we're in Italy. <laughs> it's a ta- outside table, but it's not. And um, I was sitting, having a coffee, and just thinking about today, and thinking about you all. And this caught my attention. This trug. So it's sitting outside, and it's, it was sitting like this, so I just saw the leaves. And it's a lot of tulip bulbs. Somebody sent me a bouquet of tulips last year and they came in their bulbs and the idea was that you were to plant them and they would grow. And I obviously lifted them and put them in my trug and thought, I must do that. And I'd forgotten. And when I looked at them at first, I thought, oh, gosh, how dreadful that you haven't cared for those. You haven't done the work that was required. You didn't do what you're supposed to do, but they still grew. Today they'll go into a pot. And as I sat with them a bit longer, I felt like the Lord was reminding me, sometimes you don't do the work. Sometimes you're not able for it. Sometimes you don't have it in you. But it's still happening. Look at it. They're going to be glorious. They're going to be my favorite bulbs. And I felt like it wasn't just for me. I felt like there's people in this community. And I want to remind you that whatever is happening in your life, underneath the growth is still happening. You might not be doing the work. You might not be able for it. You might not even know what it's going to be. But the work of the Spirit is still happening. And there is life and growth and beauty slowly, gently creeping up. And so if that is for you, take it and hold it. I almost don't want to plant them because they're, they tell me something beautiful of the heart of the Father. And perhaps they'll speak to you too. But maybe in these days we can start to transform our relationships with the Lord, with the beautiful one. And we can really pray on earth as it is in heaven. So let's stand and let's worship.
begins. Our relationship with God started at the cross, at that beautiful transaction. So glance at my lovely drug, because there's a preach in there, possibly much better than what I've given. <laughs> Life is going and will go, and growth and beauty and healing and restoration will come. Will come. Be blessed. Be blessed. <laughs>